Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast are my friend Maddie Hawes and Luke Romney. Welcome to the podcast, you two. Thank Hi, you. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, for our listeners, we're experimenting with technology. Luke and Maddie are not in my home, and I used to call people on the phone through Google Hangouts, and our call didn't work a few days ago. I haven't figured out why it didn't work, so my podcast guy suggested Zoom. So uh, Maddie and Luke are, are Zooming in. We're just recording the audio, obviously, that I can see them, and it's kind of cool. Tell our listeners where you are right now. Um, we're currently in between four heritage buildings, which is um, some of the larger dorms for those that don't know on BYU campus. We're actually in the buildings that are across from the MTC. <laughs> and it's just, a we're in a mid-October afternoon here in Utah. It's late afternoon. Um, it's cool, but it's crystal clear outside. And it's, I just see these two together and I see blue sky behind them. And you may hear <laughs> construction sounds in the background. And um, but that just makes this sort of just real, like we're inviting you, our listeners, into a conversation. I became aware of Maddie and Luke um, on Instagram. They started an Instagram account called BYUQ24, and they're bringing voice. And I'll let them explain the Instagram account. In fact, why don't you go ahead and explain the Instagram account? Um, so the Instagram account came about in... Luke and I talking about how representation was improving in the church for different groups, but not necessarily for queer folk in the church, and especially our youth and young adult members. Um, and so we decided that as we were both coming to BYU, where that it can be incredibly hard to be yourself if you're part of that community, um, that we just wanted to establish a safe place for people in our incoming freshman class, especially with COVID times where it can be hard to get to know people even more and find that safe space. Like right now, we can't even go to other people's dorms. So it can be incredibly hard to connect with people that accept you for as you are. And so we just wanted to be able to create a space for that, even if it was online. Yeah. And um, tell us about the Q24, BYU Q24. Luke, tell us about what that 24 means. So um, for me, Maddie and I definitely toyed around a lot with what we wanted the um, name to be. But for me, as um, a queer person, I prefer the term queer um, over LGBTQIA plus or LGBTQ. And the reason why is because um, the idea of what it is to be queer is really beautiful to me. And I think it's inclusive and it's important. And so we decided to call it BYUQ24 because we're at BYU, Q for queer and 24 because we're the class of 2024. That's great. And so both of you are first... Um, semester freshman. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and so 24 represents your graduating class and COVID will be over by then. <laughs> we'll talk about it in your commencement. You will walk in your commencement without masks. Oh, and, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's going to be crazy. And we'll all looking for, it's going to end long before 2024. Uh, Maddie, will you take a moment and share with our listeners um, where you're from, what your major is, and you're an ally. Just why you stepped in the space as, as an ally? Um, well, most recently, I'm from Tacoma, Washington, which is about 45 miles south of Seattle. Although I grew up in Indiana and Ohio, um, I'm majoring in biology on the pre-med track, and I'm minoring in civic engagement leadership. 
Um, I became an ally. I think, I don't, I can't necessarily remember a time in which I was an ally. I was raised um, by a single mom while she was in graduate school. She was a grad student for sociology. So I was raised by a sociologist who literally studies marginalized groups. Like that's what she does for a living. So I was an only child. I grew up around a cohort of sociology, sociology students rather than other children. So I think that really impacted me that I grew up hearing about people that had different experiences than I did and about how one of the most important things is being aware of those different experiences and accepting them and trying to help them or else nothing is going to be able to work and harm me for everyone. That's great. What a great reason to be an ally. Tell our listeners what you're studying and what you want to do. Um, so I'm studying biology. I want to be a pediatrician. Um, my overall goal, which is why I'm majoring in civic engagement leadership, is I want to work in an urban area to help children and families in marginalized groups that don't have consistent access to healthcare. So my minor helps me to learn about grant writing and getting um, involvement in from the community to try and help people in different situations. That's great. Um, Luke, talk, introduce um, our listeners to you. You, um, where you grew up, what high school, um, and some of, and what you're studying and what your career goals are. So, um, I am from Salt Lake. I actually live in Emigration Canyon in Salt Lake. That's where I grew up in the mountains. And, um, I went to Skyline High School, which is in Mill Creek, Utah. Um, and I am going to major in environmental humanities at BYU, which is a super cool major we have here. Um, basically my plan is to go to different, sorry, to divinity school, um, and pursue eco theology, um, in a divinity school, hopefully a good one. (laughs) I'm looking at a few. It's hard because not a lot of colleges offer specific programs in eco theology. Yale is one of them, but that's not going to be easy to get into. (laughs) Anyways, um, with that, I'd love to do go get my PhD after that and then do like a joint professorship and then maybe a chaplaincy. I would love to be a chaplain or um, work in a ministry somehow with um, education. So that's my, those are my career goals. That's where I'm from. Couple thoughts. All those career goals are about helping other people. You're Gen X generation, as you may know. And I'm just <laughs> struck as I talk to many in your age group about how focused you are. I'm now and with your careers on things that are doing to help other people, including the environment. And to me, when I hear the world is going downhill in these are the last days, I agree these are the last days, and we're getting closer to the return of the Savior, but I think a lot of things are improving about the world. And I look at your generation, and it gives me great hope. You'd seem to be just wired to figure out the most, the people are the most marginalized or the issues that are the most complex and saying, I'm going to dedicate my lives to address those issues. And to me, that's um, acting on your impressions of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's really cool what you're doing. And when I meet young people like you, and I'm still looking, it's the first time I've ever looked at anybody. It's not in my home. I just want to, <laughs> I just want to fill you with all the hope I can. Cause sometimes doubt comes in your mind. You look at somebody else think, well, they're probably smarter or they've got, and you don't self doubt. I've always thought that most people have the ability. It's the motivation and it's the clarity of vision that really makes the difference. And both of you articulated very quickly what you wanted to do. And I think you can do it. And so just go for it and be positive and 
and you can do this because you're motivated. And we hire people at our company. It's often the people that are, most people we interview are, are qualified. They have the ability, but the tiebreaker skill that we look for is motivation. And just this sort of inner self-confidence that I can do it, even if they don't at the time know how to do everything. They just kind of know how to do it. So go for it. That's really cool. Um, Emigration Canyon, that is um, a kind of a a wonderful place for me. I was a morning paper boy and drove (laughs) up and down as a high schooler, Emigration Canyon, and learned to throw newspapers out of both windows, the driver's side. And the passenger side, we didn't ever put any on the porch, Luke. We just (laughs) threw them in your driveways. And then I ran a few marathons up and down that canyon. We used to train in that canyon and then run the the Desert News Marathon down the canyon. And so I love that canyon. I don't know how far you up in the canyon or how far up are you? So I live in the Oaks. So that's like the neighborhood, um, kind of off to the north, um, halfway up the canyon. Um, If I could say something about that, though, I have been so blessed growing up in the canyon because um, first of all, being, you know, proximity to nature, but second of all, the ward culture up there is amazing. Like we have um, Christine Durham, who is the first um, female um, chief Supreme court justice uh, in Utah. And she was, I grew up with her in my ward and she would give talks and relief society lessons about women in the scriptures. So it was just, just amazing, a spiritual giant. And, and, you know, among just her, among other amazing spiritual leaders for me, um, and really being able to look at the gospel in a nuanced way. I think I was really blessed as a queer person to grow up in the ward that I did and in the place that I did to be able to be with people that, um, would love me unconditionally. Like, cause I came out at church. That's how I came out publicly. I'm over the pulpit, um, a little more than a year ago. And the love that I received from my ward was amazing. Like there was this one guy who, um, he's traditionally, I mean, he has a lot of guns and he's, you know, tr- traditionally been like a lot more conservative. But after, after I came out, he just grabbed me and, and started crying because I think that he'd always um, seen queer people as other or as someone different. But when he realized that someone that he loved so much could be queer, um, I think it really opened his mind. So I think that I'm just, again, I just feel so blessed for where I was able to grow up. And I know your father. I grew up with your father, Chris, and um, you've got great parents and a great family. And um, I think my parents that are um, in their late 80s probably meet in your same ward building at the mouth of Immigration Canyon in that white Mm -hmm. building. Yeah. Because my parents live just below the apartments at the mouth of Immigration Canyon. And my dad rides at age 89, rides his electric bike all over the place in that neighborhood <laughs> and plays golf during the day. So he's doing great. Um, I, love your, I love your vision to go to divinity school. Um, we have a daughter at Harvard Divinity School right now that is very focused on the same things you are. And she just graduated from BYU. She had lots of queer friends at BYU. Um, she would be a good resource for you. Um, yeah as you're making your way forward. So she's just in her first semester there and really enjoys it, but has some of the same feelings you do, Luke, about um, the world and about environmental issues, if I understood your major. So mm-hmm. um, talk about coming out over the pulpit. Will you share with our listeners that story, Luke? Yeah, so um, basically what happened was um, I decided that I wanted to come out 
and I went to my bishop and told him because he already knew. I'm I've been I'm very close with um both of the bishops that I had growing up, and so I decided I was going to come out and I went and talked to him, and um I wrote the talk. I sent it to him. He approved it. Um, he didn't have any requests. I think he just wanted to make sure it was going to be appropriate, um, which it was. <laughs> and I got up there and I gave a, it was a 20 minute talk, which is wow. kind of crazy. It was really long. It kind of just went on for a long time. Um, and so I went up and gave this talk and I was really blessed to have um, not only my bishop standing behind me in support, but um, my stake president, who's a really good friend of mine, had been informed as well. And he was there supporting me. Um, so yeah, I came out and then, uh, shortly thereafter I came out on Instagram and, uh, yeah, it's, it's been one of the most beautiful experiences. Um, and, and especially in my ward, no, nothing has changed like in the best way possible. No perceptions of me have changed. Um, I've never, received any inappropriate questions from leadership. Um, and I just feel so blessed. So I, I definitely, um, am grateful for my experience. I'm super aware that not a lot of people have, um, that kind of perfect of a coming out in the church. I have lots of friends who've had really hard times. And I think that's, you know, that's part of the reason why we started this is because there are so many people here that are struggling, especially with um, Bishop Roulette at, uh, in BYU wards, things can get really <laughs> tricky really fast with um, ward leadership and stuff. So, and tell her this: I love that, and I love um, that your stake present, your bishop, and your ward family, and I love the feeling of belonging you feel that all these people know you're queer and they still love you, and nothing's changed, and and how freeing that can be for you, Luke. But it also took a lot of courage for you. Let's don't underestimate what courage it took for you to over the pulpit in your congregation come out. And I don't know what your normal heart rate is, and I don't know what it was during that talk, but I bet, it, I bet those two numbers had a pretty big difference. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but perhaps you slept a little better that night, and perhaps you just felt a little more emotionally healthy and stable and, and feeling this love of these people that continue to love you and are supporting you. and. And that is our doctrine. That is what Christ would want you to feel. Um, talk, are you, do you want to talk more about being queer or where are you in the queer spectrum? And just, and maybe, you know, are you trans? Are you gay? Do you want to talk about any of that? Yeah. Yeah. I can talk about that. So um, for me, it's been um, a long journey, of course, as it is for, you know, everyone who's in the church and queer, but um, right now I identify as gay. Um, that's subject to change. <laughs> there's, there's, I mean, not like my sexuality, but I think that, you know, everybody has, everybody's fluid in some sense. Um, but I, I really truly came out to myself uh, my sophomore year of high school. That's when I realized that it was something that wasn't going to go away. Because when you're, when you're raised in the church, you think that being gay is a behavior that's, uh, you can eradicate, that you can get rid of, that's something that's wrong or, you know, um, essentially sexual and, um, dirty. And, um, so, but in my 10th grade, uh, year, I realized that that it wasn't going to go away and I had to figure out how to deal with it. 
So basically for all of um, sophomore, junior, and senior year, it's been like really hard, <laughs> um, especially at high school, like Skyline, where it's, you know, it's pretty conservative and um, a large member, a large um, number of church members there. And, um, you know, it tended to be fairly closed-minded, um, especially like in seminary situations. There were some pretty bad things that were said. Um, but I think that I've come to a point, um, especially at BYU and with the people that I choose to surround myself with at BYU, um, that I'm starting to feel like a lot more comfortable with who I am. And I think that's something that's really um, cool about BYU is the the queer community here is amazing. Yeah. Like there is so much love and support, um, not only between freshmen, but like um, people, upperclassmen that have reached out to me and um, we've just become friends. Even graduates. Yeah, yeah. And so... Um, and teachers too. Oh yeah. That's the other thing that I'd like to say is my professors at BYU are absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. Like they are so cool. And yeah. So long story short, <laughs> I'm gay. Uh, it took a long time to figure that out. I did um, go to conversion therapy, which was, yeah, definitely left a mark on me. Um, but with the support of my family, my friends, my heavenly parents, and, you know, through the work that I've done, I think that I've come to a place of self-acceptance. That's great. Very self-aware of who you are. Talk about just the first segment there. You said it could change or I'm fluid. Do you think you'd ever be straight again? Uh, definitely not. I, I think figured that... you'd say that. I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I think that's good to clarify. Um, I... I think that there could, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I do think that maybe there's one woman out there that I could see myself marrying. I think it's, um, I'm not going to like shut myself off to that possibility because that's, you know, if, the, if a woman is, you know, who I fall in love with, I'm not going to shoot myself in the foot. Um, but also I could see, you know, my gender identity becoming fluid in the future. I have no way of knowing. Because um, the, I think that, you know, growing up is just a gradual process of getting to know yourself better. And so there are things about myself right now that are there deep in my soul that I don't know about. And so if I learn about those things later in my life, I'm ready to accept them or at least Gay straight man. Oh, gay. No. Gay be, sis. Oh, gay. Yeah. Gay <laughs> gender man. Yeah. That would be confusing, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gay cisgender man. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good segment. And I wrote about that in the book that I published that listeners may be aware of. Listen, learn, and love embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And one of the myths I tried to dispel is it, this is just a phase. In other words, Luke's just in a phase and he will eventually return to being straight. And I kind of talked about two types of this narrative. One is that one, that Luke is just confused. He's been watching too many TV shows. Um, <laughs> he's been hanging out with LGBTQ since school and he's confused himself into thinking he's gay and eventually he's going to be straight. And my experience is that is not 
happening for anybody. There may be one or two stories out there where someone feels like they've returned to being straight. I wouldn't want to take hope if that's your hope. But I just think where Luke is, is where most LGBTQ Latter-day Saints are. And it's not because they're confused or Satan's got a hold of them. It's just because they've become very aware of who they are. And it may be easier to do that because there's just more positive messages about queer people right now than certainly when I was growing up. The second version of that sort of it's a phase is the one that I do accept. And it's where someone on the LGBTQ spectrum could move to a different space in the LGBTQ spectrum. And I wrote in the book, I, I wrote in the book, we shouldn't say, oh, here we go again, or this is, you know, invalidates their original coming out. I think Luke did as good a job as I've ever heard articulating that, that I'm still um, trying to totally understand where I am. And I think that's, and I love you mentioning Heavenly Parents, because I think your relationship with Heavenly Parents can help you. And I admire you not closing the door to marrying a woman, even as a gay Latter-day Saint. And I know you know the complexities of that. I don't need to tell you any yeah. of that. But I like the way you haven't totally ruled that out. And I know if you went down that road, she would know all about this, and you would get some personal revelation together that it's the right thing to do. And the thing that I want to make clear, though, is that I would never marry a woman to get married in the temple. Like, I would never do it in order I would only, I mean, I would never marry a woman unless I wanted to marry a woman and I was in love with her. That's, um, yeah. What, what a great reason to, to be married. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> talk about, and I want to talk to Maddie, but I, as allies, we always like to let our LGBTQ friends do most of the talking. Talk about why you came to BYU as a queer Latter-day Saint. That is also, uh, <laughs> that is also a story. Um, so I actually, as I mentioned before, I don't, well, actually, I don't know if I mentioned this, but my parents wanted me to go to USU. They didn't want me to go to BYU because they didn't think that it was going to be good for me, um, which is ironic because they're both BYU graduates. My mom got her MBA at BYU and uh, all three of my older siblings went to BYU. But um, it, when it came down to it, um, I decided to go to BYU. Um, for a variety of reasons, but mostly just because I felt like it because <laughs> I am an emotional decider. And so <laughs> I could not have gone to USU knowing that I actually wanted to go to BYU the entire time. Now, you know, the reasons behind that emotional decision, because I'd been expected to my entire life. So that's why I went or my older si siblings went or, you know, I'm familiar with campus. So it felt like a safe space to me. I couldn't tell you, but um, the thing that I do know is that um, I think once I've gotten here, I felt like it's the right place for me to be. I don't know if it's going to be the right place for me to be for all four years of my bachelor's degree. There's no way for me to know that. But right now, I feel comfortable being here. Um, I think it might be because of coronavirus, honestly, that it's so easy. Like that it feels easier than I thought it was going to be. Because basically, the only people that I interact with at all are people that I like. <laughs> and so, like, I don't have to, I'm not like dealing with like a lot of opposition right now, which I, which I appreciate. It's a kind of a good dip into the water of BYU, I guess. Um, but yeah, I've just been really impressed with um, everything that's been going on. And um, yeah, so that's basically why I decided to come to BYU. I think for, it doesn't work for everybody, and you know this, um, Luke. I think for queer Latter-day Saints, college age, that can get into BYU, it's sort of the, 
it's the most interesting space if you are queer um, right now, because <laughs> it seems to be where there's the most conversations, the most community, the most supportive infrastructure. Um, it's not universal. There's some roulette there, like you say, with between um, local leaders there in Provo and the YSA wards and BYU administration and professors. That's my feeling as I've interacted with so many at BYU that it is one of the very best places. It can be choppy. It can be difficult as we've all seen, but what a cool time to be there in a way um, and sort of be walking this road firsthand yeah. um, during these very unique times. And um, if we did this podcast four years from now at graduation, assuming you're at BYU or whoever, you, you would have four years worth of stories of things that have changed probably. Um, that you'll witness firsthand. Talk about your hopes. When I meet with people individually and often in the podcast, I just ask them to tell me their hopes because I think it's I think it's okay for everybody to hear somebody else's hope and what's at the core of their heart. Talk about your hopes. Like, do you want to marry a man? Do you want to marry a woman? Do you want to stay celibate? Um, do you want to stay in the church? Just talk. If you're okay sharing with our listeners you, that part of your heart, please go for it. Yeah. So, um, I want to marry a man and I want to have a family. Um, and I will, (laughs) I think I'm going to, I'm going to manifest that into a reality. It's going (laughs) to happen. Um, as far as my relationship with the church, I, um, over before, uh, before quarantine or before, um, you know, the pandemic really hit, um, I actually, attended an Episcopal church for a long time, um, for like three months instead of a Mormon church. Um, just, you know, I, I just really was feeling suffocated in a lot of ways because a lot of trauma is associated for me with going to church and it has nothing to do with my ward. I think it, it just has to do with a lot of the doctrine of the church. Um, that's really hard for me. Um, but after, you know, all of that and then coming here to BYU, I don't think that there is a religious tradition that I would say I agree more with than the Mormon tradition. Um, So I could see my, I'm never not going to be Mormon. Like when you're raised Mormon in Utah, (laughs) it's, it's a part of who you are. It's a part of your identity. And I, I, sometimes I was just like, I wish I could, you know, like, be amnestic, like just like lose all of memory of being in the church just so I can move on. But I don't want that anymore because it's a huge part of who I am and I'm grateful for that now. Um, so I see myself being a part of church in some way. Obviously, um, according to the current policies of the church, if I'm married to a man, I, you know, can't hold a temple recommend. I can't be a priest holder. Um, and I can't hold um, major callings. But I nonetheless um, will probably participate along with um, participating in other religious traditions as well. Cause I just, I love church. I'm going to divinity school. So like, I, I just love church in general. So talk about your feelings towards your heavenly parents and how they feel about you. If you were okay talking about that. Yeah, of course. Um, my, or I would say those have been the strongest impressions that I've received from the spirit in my life have been affirmations of love. And they came at really pivotal times for me in my life. Um, Mostly when I was really in the pits of despair and self-loathing. And and that's an experience that a lot of queer 
Latter-day Saints experience is really intense feelings of self-loathing um, during the process of coming out to yourself, which is really, it's just a really brutal process, especially when you're doing it closeted with, you know, few or no people knowing. And I have received the most unmistakable impressions that my heavenly parents love me, like really strong. And it was interesting because, um, and also along with that, you know, the power of the atonement and, and that as a manifestation of my heavenly parents' love for me, that it would heal me. Um, and the thing that I thought thing is really interesting in hindsight is when I received those, um, those uh, revelations at the time, I interpreted them as God telling me that he was going to help me become straight. But in hindsight, that was never what was being said. My heavenly parents would never, like they were not saying that. They were saying that they loved me and that was it. And I think that's been really beautiful for me to know, like for me to recognize is that like when, when I was feeling the atonement in my life, it wasn't healing me from being gay and making me straight. It was healing me from being broken by people in this world and by organizations and structures in this world that really break people and heavenly, my heavenly parents and Jesus Christ healing me from that suffering, which is different because my suffering does not come from me being gay. My suffering comes from how I get treated for being gay. That's a beautiful segment. When I hear somebody, how old are you? Luke? 19. 19. When I hear a 19-year-old gay Latter-day Saint talk like that and the personal revelation you're receiving and the spiritual maturity and the emotional maturity, it just gives me so much hope um, for the future and that you are coming out of difficult chapters that you articulate really well, but in a great spot. And if I'm your parents or your friend or your church leaders, I, I hope we just recognize where you are and are so glad where you are. I know your parents do from what you've told me about your parents and, and you've got a real supportive, but when you talk about your future, I just honor those choices. Um, and I just know that you need to self-determine what path is right for you. And I, you know, I think my listeners know I invite everybody to stay in the teachings of the church, but I, especially for queer Latter-day Saints, believe that they need to self-determine the best path for them. And our job is to support love. And I also think when we can help queer Latter-day Saints love themselves, which you've learned how to do, then you believe you're lovable from your heavenly parents. And maybe those doesn't come in that order sometimes. Maybe you feel love from your heavenly parents, so you realize you can love yourself and not self-love. And then I think you make better decisions going forward. And you believe that God can be a part of your life and you're just in a, you have a lot of hope right now, perhaps more than you had earlier in your life. And I love things that bring hope into people's lives. And I wish our listeners could visually see you. Maybe we'll do a video podcast someday because (laughs) Maddie and Luke are just full of light. Um, And um, I just think you have a great life ahead of you, Luke. And I just honor all your hopes and dreams. And I hope we can help you feel welcome in our congregations as you want to participate the best you can and and just to have empathy that your Instagram account is doing to develop empathy for um, LGBTQ Latter-day Saints that face impossible choices that straight Latter-day Saints don't face. And maybe even hope. I think it's fine 
So some might say, I don't, I hope not, but some would say, well, Luke is at BYU and he's choosing a path. Eventually it'll take him out of the church teachings. And I, I would just hope we don't, um, criticize or put any restrictions on people that are willing to live church, church teachings now, even if they feel their path is eventually a different path. It's like, I, you know, I've always wondered, wondered what coffee tastes like. And, um, I would probably <laughs> like to try coffee. Um, and maybe someday the word of wisdom will be adjusted that just let members choose to drink tea or coffee or not and leave it up to us. I don't know. I'm not proposing that. But if I, <laughs> but if I sort of privately felt I'd like to go down that path someday in the future, I hope people wouldn't put restrictions on me now or criticize me now that have hope that something may change or my path may eventually be different. And so I just, I think we need to create space for people like Luke to share their hopes with, you're doing it well with parents, with local leaders, with friends, and not pass any judgment and, and just um, create a safe place they can continue to share their hopes. We need people in our lives that will fully be with us and let us share everything in our heart. And I can just tell Maddie's one of those for you. Anything else you'd like to share, Luke, or anything that I've said you kind of want to go back to or? Um, um, I think the thing that I'd like to say the most is that, um, first of all, I am deeply um, impressed with the, the students my age in the freshman class. Um, and that's the thing I've talked to upperclassmen at BYU. People... <laughs> people my age are not going to, they're not going to take it. Like they're not, we're not going to take it. Like the, you know, the, the things that have been going on in BYU culture and policy, there's increasingly just like, cause I, the point that I'm trying to make is that people our age, if you ask them about queer issues, they're not going to, they're just confused. And, and, you know, most people that are at BYU would say, you know, we choose to support the church, but I don't know what's going on. I have gay friends that I love. And so I think change is coming um, at BYU and it better. And we're going to make it happen <laughs> through the right avenues, of course. But we're going to make it happen because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's long overdue. And especially what happened in the spring was really hard. Was, I cried a lot over that. Because what emotional whiplash. Oh, my gosh. But, you know, we're not going to take it. And things are going to be different by the time we graduate. Um, and I just, I would, I, would, I would encourage anybody who's listening to not feel guilty about having doubts. Um, and especially having doubts that have to do with somebody's humanity. Like, what we're asking for is to be, you know, treated like human beings. And if you receive a personal revelation that, you know, that gay people deserve to be treated like human beings and God loves them, that is not Satan talking to you. That is your heavenly parents talking to you. And, and I just want to make that, you know, abundantly clear that, um, you know, Maddie... Um, especially is a really good example of having problems with some of the things that the church does, but still loving the church and loving BYU 
and staying in the church. It is possible. And it's important. And it's not for everybody because some people need to leave and I respect that choice. But I am, I've been really heartened by the amount of people I've met at BYU who are going to stay in the church and who are going to affect positive change because it's just going to happen. It is. It's a great segment. <laughs> if you can see sort of the emotion in my face as you talk, it's there. And I, so, you know, is this a podcast we're proposing and advocating and campaigning for doctrinal changes? Probably not. Some of my guests may feel that way and that's fine. And I'm not saying you do, Luke, but I think it's okay to hear a conversation from a queer Latter-day Saint who's doing the very best he can. He's at BYU. He is trying to stay in the church. He sees good in the church and he has hope for changes. I would guess you have hope for doctrinal changes that one day our doctrinal change and you and your husband can have a temple marriage. Is that true? Yeah, I would say so. And so... I would just invite our listeners to be, you know, I don't think it's against, I just would hope we create space for people that hope even our doctrine changes. Our doctrine has changed in the past. I don't, the way I handle this issue is I don't know Heavenly Father's will, and I'm not a leader of the church, so I leave it with the leaders of the church to wrestle with complicated LGBTQ issues. And I choose to stay in the church and I choose to be a voice of support for the church and a voice of support for Luke and all the other LGBTQ people that I'm honored to know. And I talk about a 40 chapter book, the church's relationship with its LGBTQ members is like a 40 chapter book. And chapter 40 to me represents where Luke feels the same balm of Gilead that my 19 year old son, your age, at BYU feels he's an early release COVID missionary, Luke. He's your age, came out of Cottonwood High School, married his high school sweetheart. He is married, temple marriage, age 19. He does, you know, his path is a straight Latter-day Saint, fully open to him. He does not in the double bind. He can marry his high school sweetheart or his sweetheart and fully participate in the church and get on with his life. And I just recognize there's no difference between you Chris's 19-year-old son and my 19-year-old son, both at BYU. It's just that you're gay or you're queer and you don't have that path for you to have a life partner. And so I just try to have empathy for the impossibilities that you face that my son and I never faced at BYU. And I think it's okay to hope that something changes so that chapter 40 just represents that it's the balm of Gilead. Another example of chapter 40 is when a mom learns her 14-year-old son is queer or 14-year-old daughter is queer. She doesn't have any fear um, how that kid fits in the church or how that kid fits in the plan of salvation. And they, she says much as hope for that kid as a straight kid. And most parents, when their kids come out, they're full of fear because they don't know how that works for their kid and they know their kid and their kids are great. So that's kind of you know, listeners, that's kind of the heart of the complexity of this issue. Um, we like talking about complexity on this podcast. Uh, this <laughs> podcast is not meant that everybody feels the same about everything I say or my guest says, but we're just at least talking about these topics as Latter-day Saints to create more understanding and common brace principles that can bring us together. Because at the end of the day, we're all the same human family. 
We're all the same children of the same heavenly parents. We're spiritually brothers and sisters. And we need to find common ground to support each other, even if there's differences. Even if we have differences about where, about our future doctrine changing or not changing, or the appropriate place in the church for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Um, I've talked more than I like to, Luke, but I'm still going to send it back to you to see if there's anything I've said you're a little unsettled about or anything I've said you'd like to, any other thoughts that come to your mind? No, I'm all good. Thank you. (laughs) Maddie, um, just as you're listening, I'd love a couple questions come to mind, plus anything you want to say. I, I assume you're getting lots of DMs from queer Latter-day Saint BYU students and maybe allies. Just, and both of you can do this, but kind of give voice to what's, what you're hearing and what you're feeling and what your DMs and just, just share with us what's in your heart. Um, what we hear a lot, whether it may, honestly, I was going to say mainly from people that are queer, but honestly, it's allies as well, um, is thanking us for creating a safe space here. And I think that really, like, each time you receive a DM, I get as happy as I am the first time you received a DM thanking us for that. Because it's just, even if we can create that safe space for one more person, it's absolutely amazing. We, it's worth it. It's incredibly worth <laughs> it. Like, we've received um, messages from alumni of BYU, um, excuse me, thanking us that we were doing this for our class and wishing that they had had that when they were here. And... I think it's just absolutely amazing the kind of reception that we've received um, and just the ways that we've been able to grow and help our followers grow. But it also grows an organization. Like in only three months, we were able to create a sister, like a branch off of the organization um, from BYU, for BYUI. And that was from one of our followers approaching us and asking if we would ever consider starting that. And we're like, we, were, we would love to do that, but obviously it's hard to do that and we're not there. And so she just offered... I have a friend that I know is queer and we're both going. Could we run it for you? And right away, we're just, yes, that's amazing. Providing even more support. Um, and so honestly, I think that's like the greatest part of it. Um, that's where meetups do. Yeah, that's what I was, yeah. Um, but so before we went into, um, Utah County is currently an orange zone. So we can't have meetups of more than 10 people. And then it's even more here on campus. Like we can't go in each other's dorms or anything. Um, but prior to that, we'd had two meetups. Outside. Yeah, with masks, socially distanced, of course, everything's safe. We're very, very diligent on that. <laughs> um, but so we had meetups with, um, we created a group chat. We didn't want to publicly put the address or where it was happening, of course, in case anyone with maybe the wrong intentions um, were to see it. But so we created a group chat with people that wanted to come and connect in person, safely distanced with other queer members and allies. And we were able to do that. And it was absolutely amazing to see um, just the way that people connected instantly just because they knew that they would be accepted by them. Um, we talk in that group chat like all the time yeah. now. People hang out all the time. I'm hanging out with some of them tomorrow, right? Like we just already created these friendships and it's absolutely amazing. And then after orange restrictions, we still had a meetup. We had a Zoom um, on the, what was that? Saturday? Yeah. On a, sat- on a Saturday evening, the Saturday evening, um, of conference. And we basically, um, if color, the campus is another Instagram account that is run by Bradley Talbot. And he put together, um, a queer general conference 
talking about um, queer issues within the church and spreading love. And so we kind of posted our own little version of that where we just shared um, messages from our general authorities about loving other people, loving other people in the gospel specific, in the church specifically, queer members, talking about how we can better help them um, and talking about how they, how the queer members are loved in the church. And so we weren't, not trying to take away, of course, from actual general conference. It can be a great experience for some and it can be very harmful and scary for others. But we just want to, we strive to create that safe space for them. And so far we have achieved it and it's been absolutely wonderful. Well, I think that one of the cool things is just seeing, um, trying to think of like some specific examples. Like there are people that I connected with um, that I would have never connected with otherwise. So for example, there was a guy um, just came back from his mission and he really needed someone to talk to because he just needed to figure it out. (laughs) And so I just met him on campus and we just went on a walk and talked for like a couple hours. And I think just, and then he came to the next meetup. He was there and he met everybody. And so I think like just knowing that, um, that, that he has a community even if he doesn't, I mean, even if he, even if anybody chooses not to hang out with us all the time, you know, <laughs> like just knowing that we're there for them. Cause like, that's like one of the really cool, um, I feel like it's a really sacred space. Um, our group chat actually, because people feel comfortable talking about things on that group chat mm-hmm. that they don't feel talking about in a lot of other places, like really hard things that they're going through. And we like have been able to create a really safe space to be able to talk about, you know, things that happen on campus that are hard um, and, you know, just things that are said and, you know, roommates and everything. It's just the whole college drama thing, but except for twice as like 10 times as worse because it's being queer at BYU. <laughs> so yeah, I feel like we've been really blessed. I love one of the things I talk about in the book is the need for community. And I, I recognize there's no official BYU campus organization for LGBTQ students. Um, and I, and my hope and my guess is that will change, um, and there will be an official campus club and community. And, and to me, that's, I don't know the backstory of why that hasn't happened. Uh, maybe there's a fear that if LGBT people get together, they'll, um, date and get married. I don't know, but I just think in all, (laughs) I actually know some people that happened to on BYU. All right. But Um, I just, I think if LGBTQ people want to find out the other LGBTQ people, we can't legislate that not happening. There's plenty of ways to connect. So I think we just ought to trust people and recognize that people need community. All other, all other aspects of sort of hard roads that people walk, we create communities so that they can find other people walking the same road. And there's something about people walking your same road, just like that walk you had, Luke, with um, that return missionary, you just get it. And he just needs someone to talk to. And both of you are having those needed conversations because the isolation, to me, Satan wants to keep people isolated in their self-loathing and their shame, not talking to anybody. And that leads to much darker places than, yeah. than what I think your heavenly parents want to do is have you talk about this and share this part of your life with trusted people in your life. Cause I think then you'd learn, you feel better. You're more likely to make better decisions. You're more likely to connect with heavenly parents. And, and the advice I give everybody 
um, especially your age group, Luke, is to go slow. Um, and you don't need that advice because when I hear you talk, you're already kind of going slow. You don't sort of need to figure out exactly how this is going to work out. And you're, um, and I think it's more likely to go slow if you're in an emotionally good spot and have got good community and a relation. And then you can kind of say this, I don't quite know how this is all going to work out, but I sense you're going pretty slow, meaning you don't need to be married next semester. <laughs> um, no. And you're probably not going to marry the first guy you date. Um, sometimes that, you know, sometimes those first relationships, same-sex relationships, because it's the first, you know, sort of relationship can go pretty fast, pretty quickly. And I just, that's, I mean, I don't want to get prescriptive here, but that's my advice to listeners is just to go slow, especially if you're young. Um, you don't need to figure all this out. And if you do feel you're dating to, to go slow, a lot of parents are, know their kids are going to start dating same-sex dating and just want them to go slow and practice all the same rules that their straight children practice and keep Heavenly Father involved in their lives as they go down that road. More thoughts either of you want to share? Um, I actually wanted to just like clarify or Good. kind of emphasize something. Good. Um, I think it's really important to emphasize um, the experience of transgender and non-binary um, and... Good. Um, asexual and aromantic students at BYU because those are narratives that we don't get to hear a lot. But um, I have had the privilege of getting to talk to a few and just the concept. The privilege of getting to talk to some, that's cool <laughs> language, Luke. Um, but like just the concept of someone walking around, like having to be closeted transgender, like walking around in like the wrong gender every day like, I can't, I just can't comprehend the pain that goes along with that. Because I can, like, I can paint my nails. Like, I can, you know, <laughs> wear bright colors and, you know, do like, the, you know, the stereotypical gay things. And people, like, people, like, no one really cares. Obviously, I get, like, like looks a lot from people. Like, you know, mean looks. But I, it's fine. I've dealt with it for forever. But, like, walking around in, like, the wrong gender. I just can't yeah. even imagine. And especially, I got the chance to talk to um, Chris um, from Twitter. You know her account, right? Yes. <laughs> but I got to meet her in person. She's actually. great. She's amazing. They're, sorry, they're amazing. That was really, they're, yeah. Yes, correct. Yeah. Thank so, you. Uh, I would never want to misgender them. And, I, and, and the, the point that I wanted to make is that Chris has taught me so much about what the transgender and non-binary experiences would be like at BYU. And they've made some really strong points about, um, you know, it's, it's just so important to think about those narratives because they exist. Like these people exist at BYU and we just don't talk about them. I, I feel like it's really centered around the experience of, you know, gay cisgender men. And there are so many people with different experiences that are really, really suffering at BYU. And, and I don't, and if, and if you're listening to this podcast and you go to BYU and you're transgender and non-binary, please, please DM us because we want to be able to give you the support that you need. We also have access to resources of people for if you're, if you are uncomfortable buying clothes for what you, for what isn't your correct gender or for safe housing. We have amazing supporters that want to support you all because we all go through so many challenges especially those that are queer at BYU but 
it's not yours are even more astronomical like but you deserve all the same love and opportunities as everyone else um talk about what allies can do maddie um just talk to other and i realize just give some ideas for other allies honestly the best thing for other allies to do is to sit there and listen um a lot of people they want to help um they want to help by fixing things or by finding those solutions or saying either helping someone to fix it or fixing it themselves for the other person but that's not how it goes when you are struggling with something they need someone to listen um it's also very similar to the civil rights movements that we have happening in the country right now. It's raising up the voices of those that are marginalized, not speaking over them. So if they are uncomfortable speaking about their experience and rather, and they would like to have you there while they speak about it, or they want you to read something for them or anything, it's what they want and listening. And no matter what, just giving them love, whether or not they want you to do something about it. Because it's not our place to do that. As we have that privilege to do whatever we want to go about our day and be able to love who we want and marry who we want and do whatever. We've always had that privilege. And unfortunately, people in the queer community have not. So it's our job now, since we've had that privilege, to help them get that right as well and just show them the love as they go on that journey. That's a great. That's awesome. We could re- hope people are rewinding that because what you said everybody can do, Maddie, um, but it takes discipline to do what you just suggested, but it's, we can do that. And it's really healing. Um, Chris Irvin, they were on our podcast, um, Luke, episode 239. So if anybody wants to listen to Chris, who Luke referenced, you could go to episode 239. Chris Irvin, somebody that I really respect, and they are a great person. Um, So I love you bringing voice to trans people. And I recognize even your privilege within the LGBT community as a gay cis man. I didn't recognize any of that. It was just all one monolithic group to me um, before I stepped in the space. But thank you as an ally, but thank you to Luke as a gay cis man in that community, recognizing that you have more privilege. It's just a great um, insight into your character to recognizing people have harder roads than you have. Um, and I think it's you honoring your baptism covenants to mourn, bear, and comfort. To, um, to your point, um, Luke, I wrote a, in this book I've referenced, um, I, it, I, I actually dedicated one chapter to transgender Latter-day Saints, um, to your point, because they often, it's just such a different experience. So chapter eight is just dedicated. It's the only chapter that's dedicated to sort of one letter on the spectrum because of the very thing you said. And it's so different than just sexual orientation, gender identity, and you develop empathy for people. And um, the best story I've heard that we put in the book is one um, LDS mother of a transgender son, and she just described it, which really helped me understand like being carsick. We all understand what it's like to be carsick. And when we're carsick, there's this mismatch feeling, and we just want to do everything we can to get out of the car and get back. And she just described it's like her son's car sick and this, this dissonance. Um, that, but unlike us, we can get out of the car. Her son couldn't get out of the car. And the, the gender dysphoria, this stress between your biological sex and your gender identity not matching is just brutal. 
And of course, someone would do anything they can to, to minimize the distress, which would include elements of transitioning to feel this alignment that they don't feel. And so that for me as a cis guy, um, I could, that helped develop more empathy and listening. What you said, Maddie, is I had to listen to trans people. If I listen to, you know, cis people tell me about trans people, that's not what you're suggesting we do. We need to sit with people. And then I learned to kind of dismiss the trap of opinions I've developed from groups of people that I've never met with and just let my opinions be based on people in that group. So these are all things that I took, started to learn at age 55 and still are learning. <laughs> this is why I have hope for our, our younger Latter-day Saints, because you're willing to learn these things now. Maddie, are there, when you look at the life of Christ and what you're doing as an ally, are there, are there parables or teachings that kind of resonate with you to give you the doctrinal foundation on what you're doing? Honestly, well, I think any parable that apply to it, especially like of the lost sheep, right? Not that people that are queer, that are lost, not that they are lost, but that they may feel lost in a world in which they aren't recognized. But honestly, I don't even think a parable, a parable, wow, I can speak. A parable is needed because it's wow. just even Christ himself, right? The charity is the pure love of Christ and loving others is the pure love of Christ. And that's all that you're trying to do is treating every single person like they're a human people that want to cover it with analogies. I, I love analogies, which is the next person. I love elders. I love elder Gary Stevens because he speaks in analogies, but I don't even think that this needs an analogy because it's just, we preach to be like Christ and Christ sat with those who are poor. He sat with those that sold their bodies. He's sat with anyone and that's what it's doing. It's sitting with anyone that goes through any experience. It's just being most like Christ as we can. Well, and the thing that I would add to that is, he sat with people who the, their situations were not chosen. They were put upon them. He sat with the people that were humbled by suffering. The people that he had problem with were the people that didn't love God's children. And so I think it's really important to remember that the queer community... <laughs> is not the enemy. They're not the enemy because they just want to be loved. They want to be, we want to be accepted. And we've been through a lot, especially for those of us that are in the church. So more chastisement and exclusion is not necessary. We don't need that lesson anymore. <laughs> You guys make a great team. This is really cool the way that <laughs> yeah. I think God's hands in this. I just think this was meant to be, that you were meant to connect with each other. Obviously, you didn't know each other before you came to BYU. Um, but here you are, you know, on BYU campus, on Zoom call, and I can just tell the the excellent relationship the two of you have. And um, and it's just, a, it's great. It's just what we should be doing with our baptism covenants. And, and you're both needed. I, I think our listeners know this, Luke, that at one point my job was as an ally was sort of to help people that had a harder road. But it's people like you, Luke, and all my LGBTQ friends that are teaching me things about the gospel of Jesus Christ and about principles that he taught, like compassion, love, mourn, bear, comfort, 
sit with, validate, that have helped me be a better disciple of Christ. So in some ways, you and your community are rescuing me and have helped me be a better person. And when I think of the impact for good that people that are different than me have had and people that are younger and people that have less education and all the things I would naturally be less likely to listen to, I realize um, how much we need you in our congregations and how much work we have to do so that, um, because you can help us be a better people and a better church. And I don't want to put like this pressure on you to change every congregation, (laughs) but I hope that we can create a feeling that our LGBTQ Latter-day Saints like Luke are welcome, have a feeling of belonging, but maybe the most, most important are actually needed to help us grow and to help us be able to take our beautiful restored doctrine. I love listeners, our beautiful restored doctrine, the doctrine that is unique through the prophet Joseph Smith and the restoration. That is the core of my testimony. And it is unique to our religion. And I want more people to be able to take advantage of that doctrine because it's blessed my life and I've seen it bless many people's lives. And I've always, in the last few years, have felt like to get to that point, we have to make progress on this issue. This, in my mind, has become a, a stumbling block to the to sort of LGBTQ people in particular. Not everyone, but most. It's difficult for them, even those that are fully active, and perhaps taking our message um, around the world to people that are looking for a sense of equality within our church on all issues, and also within our church, what it's doing for the environment, which is an important issue for many of your age group and increasingly, I think, will increase. So that's just some honest thoughts that I share with listeners as I go on long walks in the morning and ponder this space. But I love our church, and I love our restored doctrine, and I love the atonement of Jesus Christ and the hope and healing. And I what Luke said about the atonement and its role to LGBTQ people is as well stated as I've ever heard it. And this came from a 19-year-old young man with a lot of spiritual maturity because my experiences, people like Luke have had, it kind of the institutional church hasn't always had all the answers. So often they've had to go to heavenly parents to sort of figure this out. But when you talked about the atonement, Luke, and the atonement wasn't to change your sexual orientation, but to kind of heal your heart and help you overcome the, the pain that's come your way that you didn't deserve. That to me is a beautiful application of the atonement. It's not sin related. There's no sin, obviously. All of us sin and all of us need that part of the atonement to become clean, but the pain you feel and may continue to feel, that's, that to me is a great insight into how the atonement can heal. And I think there's a lot of woundedness in the world. I think we're all wounded. And I think um, our church has great insights into how the atonement of Jesus Christ can help heal from that woundedness. Yeah, we still need therapists. We still need friends. <laughs> um, and But there is an element of the atonement that you've directly experienced, Luke. Um, and you will help other people to feel that. You have kind of, both of you have an unofficial ministry. It won't show up on LDS tools. Um, <laughs> and a lot of people may hold you up to a little suspicion for what you're doing. And you may feel some judged at times, but you're, you're helping and healing people. And at the end of the day, you can go to bed and know that there are people that feel safe opening up to you and you're giving them hope and you're healing them and giving them a sense of belonging. So um, 
just pray that you'll continue to feel love and support and see the importance of what you're doing and feel our hands on your back as you make your way forward. Any closing comments? Let's start with Maddie and then Luke. Honestly, I think I just want to, not necessarily, I guess, stress. Um, when we were creating this account, one of the things that was most important important to us was creating an, creating a safe space for those with all relations to the queer community, whether it's an ally or a part of the community, but also anyone with any relation to the church. I myself was raised in the church. Um, I right got baptized at eight. I've done everything. Thought I was going to go on a mission. Now I don't plan on it, but I checked off all the milestones. I've well, as far as I can at this age, of course. <laughs> um, but there's still, I have a firm belief in the gospel, but I also consider myself a nuanced member because okay. I struggle with a lot of these things that I see that my, that my siblings in the queer community struggle with us in the church, the, um, that I as a woman struggle with in the church, that um, I'm a woman of color, but I'm very white passing, but that my mom, my other family members struggle with as they um, aren't white, but they're members of the church. And we have people that follow our account that believe in it, right? Or like from, from Utah, like Luke, they're like, okay, like the traditional member, like everything. And then we also have people that they already have left the church or are considering leaving the church. But no matter what, it doesn't matter because they deserve all the same love. And I think that's something that a lot of people, members um, that are straight, that want to support can do better at because they're like, okay, we can support people that are either gay and members of the church but aren't acting on it, or we can support people that are queer and outside of the church because they didn't make those covenants anyway. When really it's no, whether or not they made the covenants, whether or not they're straight or queer, everyone deserves our love and acceptance. And I think that's what's most important and what makes us the best allies because it doesn't matter whether they are queer or even if they're queer and you don't know it, it doesn't matter because they deserve to be treated the same no matter gender, race, nationality, ethnicity, socioeconomic situation, anything. And I think that's what's most important for to be allies is that you shouldn't, if you're going to be a real ally, you're not just going to be an ally of one person in that entire demographic or even just one demographic. Being a true ally and a true disciple of Christ is being there for every single person of every demographic of every group. And I think that's the most important thing that we need to all do better at. I love that, Maddie Hawes. Luke? Um... I think um, kind of going off of some of the things that Maddie said, I um, have been, I have felt more of our Heavenly Parents' love through this work that we've been doing than any time in a long time, if ever. And I know that they're with us in this work. The Spirit is with us because we're lifting up the hands that hang down. We are, we are rescuing people. And obviously that's a little extreme. <laughs> people will be fine, but sometimes not. Like there's a, there are really, you know, there are big problems with, you know, mental health issues at BYU. Yeah. And, you know, Maddie and I are not exempt from that. <laughs> right? <laughs> so um, we, we seek to support and love um, 
you know, the people that are just really going through the ringer. Um, Cause there's a lot of suffering that goes on at BYU. And, and, and that's the thing that's been really hard for me being here is, you know, knowing that electroshock therapy got practiced on gay men in the eighties when my parents were here, while you were here. Like it happened while you, while you were at BYU. In the it buildings did. we have classes in. And it happened in the building that my major is based out of. It was, on, it was on the land that the JFSB is on. And so the fact that I walk by that every day and no official apology has been issued and everything that happened last spring with the honor code changes, it's so hard. It is all so hard. But in the midst of all of it, I, I just have the strongest... I have the most unshakable belief that we're doing the good work and, and we're doing something that's important and necessary. We're not doing something that's frivolous. Um, we are doing essential work. And um, I just pray that people can support us and we can expand because I want, I, my goal is for some day for no one at BYU to be homophobic or transphobic or queerphobic. And I pray for that day. And we are working towards <laughs> it. So yeah, that's what I have to say. That's all full of hope. You two are great. I I love what you said about the history of BYU. I you know, that may be uncomfortable for listeners to sort of hear things in our institutions or a church in the past that we could have done better. And I think we can mature I think we can have enough confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ to be able to look back and recognize where we didn't um, do as good as we should have and acknowledge pain. I tweeted out the other day, um, let's don't rank trauma. Trauma is trauma. Let's sit with others in their pain without causing them to spend limited emotional capital to convince us of their trauma. Hashtag bear more in comfort. And I think the point is there, Luke, is you talk about the trauma you feel, even though you weren't here as a student in the 80s, when you walk by that. If a listener is saying, well, Luke, that didn't even affect you, or why is that a big deal, or can't you move forward, then I think we're just adding to your trauma, and we're causing you to, to use what I call limited emotional capital to sort of convince us how difficult that is for you. And to me, if you just feel that way, that's enough, and I just validate that. And, and of course, validate all the people that, you know, that you're aware of and I'm aware of from my era that were um, involved in those things. And some would say, well, that's what all of society was doing. But some would say, yeah, but our church should have done better. And mm-hmm. I believe we should have done better. And that kind of represents the 40 chapter book where those earlier chapters represent things where we should have done better. And we caused pain and harm in faithful Latter-day Saints because of our limited understanding. And I, I think personally, as we mature, we, as an institution of the church, I hope we can learn to look back and apologize. To me, that doesn't cause me to believe less in the church or less in our prophets. It's just part of the human nature of a, of a mortal institution led by mortal people that are doing their best. And so I'm fine with what you said. And five years ago, that would have been kind of activating for me. And I felt maybe my heels needing to dig in and defend the church that I'm deeply committed to. But I've learned I can do both, Luke. I can sit with you and all the others in their pain and validate that pain and be a committed Latter-day Saint, support our leaders. It's not an either-or. And 
it's people like you that have taught me that. And it's kind of freeing because then I feel I can do a better job of bearing mourning comfort. So um, Luke Romney and Maddie Hawes, you two are awesome. There's been a great spirit in this podcast. People have tears in their eyes as they're listening to you. And a lot of people just want to reach through the audio feed and give you both a big hug. There's people that have left BYU um, from different eras where they are just stunned right now to hear two people at BYU um, being able to have these kind of conversations and start that Instagram account. And they will look back and, and they will say things have dramatically changed from their day and they're going to be happy for you. Um, and they're going to be full of hope for the future. And it may help heal them to know that things are getting better as they deal with the difficult traumatic experiences they went through. So on behalf of um, Richard Oster and the Listen, Learn, and Love podcast, this is, I guess, Richard, I'm not very good signing off podcasts. This is Richard Oster signing off. But please um, go check out this Instagram account, BYUQ24. And Luke and Maddie, you are great and continue to help and heal other people. Mm-hmm.